I am very pleased to introduce Tom Johnson. Many of you know him from his uh, blog, I'd Rather Be Writing. I first came to know him less from reading the blog, but more from starting to see his name appear on the bibliographies of my students' papers who are writing about trades and technical writing. So, uh, so um, I won't speak anymore. I'll let him do that. And so here's Tom Johnson. All right. Thanks, John. Actually, about this time every year, usually I get lots of emails from students uh, completing assignments to, to find out about trends and other things, to, to interview somebody in the field and so forth. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm from Utah. I'm actually from Washington, but I live in Utah, came out here. I work for a nonprofit organization. And uh, today I'm going to talk to you about trends. And I'm going to focus on the trends that I think are most relevant to you as you're kind of discovering your, your first steps into uh, the real world of, of work. Um, well, I shouldn't say it like that. Into, into the outside <laughs> world where you have more work um, and, and in a corporate setting or, or something else. One of the things that always plagues me, and uh, especially recently uh, in, in this job that I have, is finding a manual that has been written by another department uh, by a non-technical writer, usually by a project manager. Uh, we routinely discover this. We're, we're kind of looking through things. We see an announcement. You know, it's a big organization. The right hand doesn't always know what the left hand is doing, that kind of thing. And uh, we, we suddenly see, oh, there's a new application. We look at the help file, and it'd be some Word file. And I'd look at the author in the file properties and find out who exactly it was. Sure enough, it was just a project manager and some other group who you know decided to bypass the whole technical writing route uh, just to kind of do it himself or herself and that i've seen that several times and there's kind of a trend that you'll see and experience and it's this idea that anybody can write um, your project manager can write your business analyst can write your secretary can write your qa engineer can write your intern your cousin they can all write and uh, I was thinking yesterday, I was like, well, is it just true in my group that they have this belief? Or is it something that's kind of larger? Uh, is it some, a larger trend? So using Twitter, I asked my followers or my friends, whatever, my tweeps, whatever you call them, <laughs> is this true in your company? <laughs> is it, is it, how pervasive is this idea that anybody can write? And let me just read a few of these. Um, the top one, fairly, no writers involved in project on-site customer deliverables, all done by consultants and project managers. She's in Australia, and she does lots of stuff with engineering and, and oil and things. The next person, extremely, on the tech writer listserv, I recently asked whether is exceeded is wrong, a project manager, and I still butt heads over it. Mary Connor, quite pervasive. It's beyond an idea. It's changing our documentation processes. It's rooted in our philosophy of Agile. Agile is kind of this method of doing software uh, in, in short little bursts rather than having a long planning period. The next person, it's now, I'm now officially a business analyst because it, IT doesn't need tech writers. I'm still doing tech writing though, they just don't call me that. Next person, not pervasive, but that perception is there among some key staffers. So the important people all believe it. Next person, happens at my company a lot. Drives me crazy and makes me feel not appreciated. Next person, as pervasive as 
quote, I'm a better than average driver, which she says is a common social, a common social <laughs> phenomenon. More people, I've, I've worked with many engineers who claim that they can write, but the good ones realize their time is better spent elsewhere. Uh, definitely not the consensus at my company. The general thought is anyone can write, but not everyone does it well. I know, I'm lucky. Now there are some people that did disagree, and they said what really wasn't their trend. Uh, they're kind of in the gray and, and the brownish color. Some people say the quote, anybody can write idea is not that pervasive in my company. It seems to be more anybody can design documentation, which is kind of weird, uh, but, but it's, it's somewhat along the same lines. Anybody can write, not in my current company, but it was accepted it was an accepted idea in a couple of companies that I've worked for. Then the people who flat out disagreed, uh, writing, about your writing question, it was more like, can someone please write? As in, documenting the code <laughs> functionality comment in the code. And the others, it's not, it's not. <laughs> I write everything unless I tell them I don't have time. Then they write and I heavy edit. And the last one, most of our developers freely admit they can't write and look to us for help. Now, part of the problem with this little informal survey is that it's, it's uh, somewhat self-selecting. All the people that I interviewed are, are usually at companies who hired tech writers. So they see enough value that they've actually hired a tech writer. So all the people who don't see value in tech writers at all aren't really represented here because they wouldn't, they wouldn't be following me. They wouldn't be in the tech writing scene. So now this poses a problem for you, right? You are studying probably tech writing or, or something like that, and you're learning all kinds of core skills about writing. You're, you're developing uh, all, kinds of, uh, all kinds of talents about style and grammar and flow and rhythm, and you're probably feeling pretty good about your writing skills. And now you're going to enter into the corporate setting, perhaps, and find that people don't really care that you can write because they all feel that they can write too. So now what do you do? Well, part of the reason people feel that they can write um, is that we write every day. People are texting, people are on Facebook, people are uh, doing blogs. The writing is not something that is, is a task that nobody really does. Um, so what you have to do is you have to do something more. Uh, at a trends panel at STC, the Society for Technical Communication, uh, every year they talk about trends, things that people need to be doing to really move forward in their career. And one of my favorite people, Bogo Vadovic, he's a, he's a European uh, project manager, tech, technical communicator. He says, doing what you're told to do and what you're expected to do is nowadays simply not enough anymore. You've, got, you've always got to do something more than what you're basically supposed to be doing. If all you're doing is writing, which is usually what people just kind of expect from you when you get hired, they say, look, we need a manual, maybe an online help. If that's all you do, soon people will, will perhaps undervalue you and, and see that as a commodity that they can outsource to anybody else because it's just a simple little task that they can do in a more cost-effective way. So again, if you've, you bank your skill set and your career in your writing, uh, you're not going to be as secure. Another person... Jack Molasani, he runs an IT staffing company. And Jack uh, actually redesigned his website recently, I know him. And he's a great guy, he's really, he, he's really forceful and, and uh, he knows what he's, he's doing, he's got so much experience. But he recruits people for IT positions. 
And um, he says that now you have to basically, techcom people are going to have to become hyphenated. And I was like, what's hyphenated? Well, you can't just be a technical writer. You have to be a writer usability expert. You have to be a, a technical writer accessibility expert or a technical writer project manager. And I asked Jack what he does, and he, he runs a staffing company. So he's like a company CEO slash conference producer. He also does conferences. So there's lots of possibilities for developing your roles in techcom. It's not as if writing is really even the, the core task that you always do. Uh, in fact, one of the interesting things about the STC as a whole is that there's so many different skill sets, so many different things people do, it's hard to even put together a conference that satisfies them, them all. If you ever go to the, the annual summit conference, there, there are 10 tracks that are going on at the same time, just because so many different people have different skills and, use, uh, skills and interests. You could become a tech writer usability person, a tech writer quality assurance person where you're testing and logging bugs. You could be like a tech writer multimedia e-learning person, tech writer marketer, things like that. There's all kinds of possibilities. So I kind of want to talk to you about some of these possibilities while you still have the chance in college to develop some of them. Uh, but even if you don't, you, you can always develop them at any time. And by the way, if you have questions, just raise your hand uh, and be happy to, you know, pause. Okay, so this is a, this is a job that I saw on lynda.com. lynda.com does video services, video tutorials. And this, if you look at the yellow part, you'll see that they're looking for somebody who's more than just a writer. Uh, they're looking for somebody who knows programming frameworks, Photoshop, Flash, Dreamweaver, Final Cut Pro, After Effects, and Illustrator. Now, if you've ever kind of played around with Final Cut Pro or After Effects or Illustrator, you, you probably realize that, or Flash, there's a lot to it. It's not something you pick up in, a, in, a, in an evening. Um, it's something that, you, you, even if you learn, there's still tons of room to grow in it. So this is not really a position for a writer, even though that's what it says at the top. And I believe Errata is like a company within their, their group. It's really for a technical writer slash audiovisual producer. And you know, if you have this skill set, you're suddenly much more marketable. I have a friend, uh, this is one of my colleagues, um, named Paul, he, when he was going to school, he decided to take a class in XML, which is a way of, of structuring your content so that you can then manipulate it in different ways. And there was a company that was trying to move to XML. They, they wanted to implement it, but they didn't know how. They were looking at his, re at his resume. He was fresh out of college, had no experience really, no real experience um, other than some other campus type jobs that he had. But he was hired for the position and beat out people who had many years of experience because he knew XML. So sometimes having the skill set, having this other uh, ability beyond writing can, can really be advantageous for you. It can help you overcome this really tough obstacle that you're going to face, which is that you can't get a job without experience and you can't get experience without a job. It helps you bypass that because you've got the skills that they need. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Doc Guy, that's his kind of handle in a forum later, because there's an interesting story that, that follows up with that. So 
if, if, uh, if I were to turn back the clock and go back to my, my college days, I got a degree in English and then I got a master's in creative writing, which never get a master's in creative writing, by the way. I mean, it's, it's great and it's fun, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. <laughs> Except if you start a blog, which then becomes really popular, which then kind of opens doors in companies and so forth. But uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's not really the best career path. If you want to make yourself really marketable, consider a minor in something. Consider a double major if you're really ambitious. Um, what kinds of, I've even, talking with another professor here, she said that you have a great uh, media journalism and film department that, that really is, is top notch. Something like that can be, uh, can, can add a lot of skills to, to this writing and can allow you to take your writing to another level. Um, we'll talk more about that as well. So there's no, that's not the only path. You don't just have to develop other technical skills. There's also the possibility that you become a, that you develop knowledge domain expertise. So let's say uh, that you want to, that you like the biology or you like accounting. This is an example where somebody likes accounting, accounting. And this is my colleague. She asked me to keep her name anonymous, so now I will. Uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't in a previous presentation, but now I will. Uh, but she, she was working at a, an accounting firm and realized that you know a lot of this accounting stuff is complicated. And in order to document and write good help, she had to know a lot more about accounting. And, and having worked at a financial firm before, I could really relate. I, I was constantly over my head trying to understand what these financial analysts were even doing with the software, let alone how it worked. And in order to really get into those business contexts where you address real scenarios that users are going through, you have to understand those scenarios. You have to understand their world. And so now if you have a background in accounting, you are suddenly a lot more, uh, you are a lot more suited to write help for that. It, it, it is this secondary skill that qualifies you above other people. And that's especially true for uh, fields like bioengineering or other things that you know are emerging health industries and things like that. If you've got a background in that, let's say you minored in health or, or you worked at a biology lab or something, that can be a real skill set that will help you get the job that you want. So I followed up with my friend. We'll call her, uh, let's see, Helen. Uh, followed up with Helen. I said, Helen, I'm using you in a presentation. Whatever became of your accounting degree, you got a degree in accounting, did it really help you become like this super expert? And it turns out <coughs> she di it, it, it didn't prove to, to have the effect that she wanted. What happened was that she became a project manager instead. And I said, well, how did you make this transition from tech writer to project manager? So apparently, as, uh, as project managers would, would hand out these specs, like document specifications for how the software should be built. She would review it extensively because she wanted to just write the help directly from the spec. So if the spec had enough detail, if it included enough of the, of the context and the understanding about what was going to be going on in the application, she wouldn't even need to, to kind of explore the application itself, which usually isn't built until you know, halfway through the project. So she would go through this spec document inc with an incredible thoroughness 
and have all kinds of questions. And it, in fact, she, I mean, she would note kind of everything from the logic and the workflow to even grammar and, and wording and semantics and typos and, and uh, everything. Uh, so, so when the people got together in order to meet about the spec and talk about it, because usually these things take weeks to, to, to finish, she would have so many questions that people started to, to joke that the meeting was really not to discuss the spec as a, as a project team, but was to go over Helen's comments and, and her criticisms. And the project managers caught wind of this and they're like, you know what, this, this person is sharp. She knows what she's doing. Why, we need her to, to be a project manager. She's helping us flesh out all of these things that we would have overlooked. And so that's how she became a project manager. Uh, she says that the, uh, the knowledge is still helpful for her accounting degree and, and so forth, but uh, is it necessary? Not entirely. Uh, you don't have to study all these different books so that you have, a, a, uh, so that you have knowledge enough to, to do it. You can use Google and so forth, she says, but it is helpful and it's a better way to spend your time than watching Hulu or something. So. <laughs> So you can make this transition. Now, I have another friend, Mark Hannigan. He used to be a past president of the whole STC, and he's a super great guy. I knew him in Florida, and he was always harping on the fact that tech writers undersell themselves. He said, tech writers, you have the potential to be a project manager. Who else sees all of the information in a project like a tech writer? You know it better than anybody. You have the writing skills to communicate it. You, you have... Uh, a lot better common sense than a lot of people on the team. Why is it that tech writers pigeonhole themselves into this idea that, oh, I'm just this little peon at the bottom of the ladder. Uh, don't, don't ask me to do anything more because I can't. I can only write. No. So <laughs> Mark Hannigan says uh, he, he actually does do project management. And he says it's up to the technical communicator to market himself or herself to the other individuals, project managers, departments, saying, hey, wait a minute. Why do we have this separate entity of a business analyst and a technical communicator? I can help you with both. And I can provide deliverables that are faster, better, cheaper. And here's why. And then you explain what you can bring to the table. So no business analyst or project manager is going to suddenly come to your cube one day and kind of place a crown upon your head and say, you are now a business analyst. You have to, you have to kind of prove that you can do that kind of thing. And so a business analyst, just I'm throwing around this term as if everybody knows it. It's, it's the person who kind of gathers the requirements for the application that define what it's going to do. So you interface a lot with the customer, figure out the feature set for it, and, and, and that kind of thing. So one of the things that Mark does that enables him to do project management or business, an, business analysis is that he is a UML expert. UML stands for Unified Modeling Language, which is kind of like a set of diagrams that you can use with certain symbols and techniques in order to model software processes. And you know, if you look at here, it kind of just looks like somebody who knows their way around Visio. Um, but there's a little more to it than that. And I've I've asked Mark. I said, well, you know, how is it, why why do you have this whole like little methodology for creating these? Why can't you just you know do what looks looks good on the paper and and communicates an idea well apparently knowing uml uh makes you more than just the guy who is handy with visio it, it makes you somebody who um can do it a lot more efficiently and powerfully 
and you, you tap into a system uh, of symbols and methods that's already been proven, which project managers and others kind of should know as they're, they're defining requirements. So this is, where, this is an example where somebody has developed a skill, UML, who has broken out of this, this shackled mindset of, of capability and has become a business analyst, project manager, tech writer. Okay. I have another friend, I, and I don't know, uh, a, a lot of these colleagues are people I've interviewed for podcasts on my site. So, for example, with the Mark Hannigan one, you can find it on my site if you go to the podcast section. And this is one from Teresa Putkey, and I've also met Teresa. She's in Vancouver. She started out as a technical writer, and like many technical writers, soon became frustrated by poor user interfaces. This is something you will routinely encounter. Uh, sometimes companies don't even have interaction designers to design a cool user interface. They just have uh, the developers do it. And it, it, look, it, it can look terrible, right? And so as a technical writer, you're writing, these, you're writing this documentation, and you're thinking, man, this is getting really complicated. <laughs> like, users aren't going to get this. I have my, my task procedure is already 32 steps, and I can't break it down because you have to do them all. So that kind of frustration starts to settle in after a while, and you, you get a little... Uh, annoyed at all these interfaces and you start to want to kind of take the root of the problem and fix it. The root of the problem is to go into the usability side before they've drawn up the specification for this document, before they've already cemented it, agreed upon it, and signed off on it and so forth, to fix those in the prototypes before people build it. So Teresa decided that she wanted to move in this direction. and. You, couldn't, you can't just jump in there all at once. You can't just go up to your project manager and say, look, uh, I know I've been a tech writer for two years, but I would li now like to be a usability person. And they may say, you know, why should I trust you? Do you even have the skill set? We may already have somebody. Well, the opportunity came for her when they had a new project, and suddenly they didn't have their, their regular usability people. And so she kind of jumped in, rather than having them outsource it or find another person or hire somebody, she saw this opportunity to expand her role and said, look, I can do this. I'm really interested in this. Let me just try it. And then she became the usability person for it. She says, I was doing, doing the tech writing. I've been telling these guys, look, the UI, the user interface, is really bad. I don't even know how you could have thought of this. Of course, I said it nicer than that. Like, this is a good first attempt, but if you really want to do it well, this is how you can do it. So when they wanted to go uh, with a new project, which they called Prologue, uh, with, with requirements and usability, they didn't have anybody to do it. And I said, I will do it. That's something I'm interested in. And since it was, was, it was a small team, they said, that's great. And I got along with everybody. So that's how I got started doing the usability stuff. So now, oh, there we go. She, if you go to her website now, this is all the stuff that she does, if you look at these bubbles on the left. She she's no longer just a person who does tech writing. She does business cases, paper sketches, wireframes, usability testing, uh, site maps, client review, software reviews, user tasks and analysis. It's no longer just a person who produces a, a user manual or, or even a, a quick reference guide. She's fully integrated into all of this design and usability testing. But she can also write the docs, too. So she's more of a key player. She's more valuable. There's another person, Wendy Cunningham, 
who I don't actually know, but a guy was doing research on all these non-traditional roles that people could play. And in her case, the people would outsource all the marketing material to an, to an outside marketing person to present, to prepare presentations, slicks, and so forth. Well, one day, the conference came. They didn't have time. She stepped in, created a PowerPoint that just awed everybody. People loved it. After that, she became the tech writer marketing person. So it's another example where you can go beyond your role. I was in Atlanta the other week, and uh, I found that they've got a group that's developing there focused on something called content strategy. So this is a new term that I hadn't heard before a year ago. But part of this proliferation of content from forums and the internet and within your marketing department, your communications and your engineers, you've got this, all this content. And you need somebody who can manage it, but you need somebody who can also kind of filter it and say, what's this overall message we're trying to communicate? Are we diluting it with all these other materials? Is, what's, what's our brand in the user's mind? Is that what we want? And so forth. So it's this person who's more than just a writer, it's a person who like, sees the big picture of content, not just in written forms, but everything from the company CEO's persona to the platform of the application. Um, another role you might play, and this is a role that sounds like a lot of fun to me, would be to be a company blogger. So already blogging is fun, right? Maybe you have a blog, you're developing it. But in a corporate setting, they usually don't have anybody slated as the, the company blogger. In fact, a lot of times, going back to this idea that anybody can write, they delegate it out to an intern or they have a secretary or somebody who isn't really a writer write it. And unfortunately, that ends up uh, oftentimes with, with a blog that isn't very influential, that isn't very appealing, and so forth. So here's an opportunity that's developing where you could step in and say, look, I know the products that we market, that we sell, that we create better than anybody else here, pretty much. Uh, why, why don't I write some of the inside tips, tricks, some of the challenges, some of the ways that users are using it. Maybe you interact with users and you know how they're using your software. It makes for perfect kind of a perfect perspective to write a company blog. The only problem with this, no, so I write, I, I've written uh, some posts on our, on our organization's uh, blog. Problem is, you don't get any time to do this. So, so you have to kind of fit it in. Maybe you use the project management skills and time management skills you just learned. But you have to try to fit this in with all your other work because people still have this, this, uh, this twisted sense that writing isn't this super highly valued skill, so why are we going to pay somebody to write? You know, we'll just have somebody go type it up in five minute break and so forth. Not always, it's not that bad, but, but really, um, it, it's, it's a cool kind of slot to start filling, but uh, you have to still do all your other stuff as well. And it depends where you are. I'm just kind of speaking from experience here. One of the other roles you might play, rather than uh, a person who's generating content, is more of a person who's aggregating content. Have you heard of the term content curator? This is a new term that's come out. And the, the curator, is more of a person 
kind of like an art in an art museum, the person gathers the materials and presents them for display. Now this content curator might be gathering materials that users have produced. Uh, you, you may be the person who, and, and usually this would have to be for a pretty popular product that a lot of people are generating content on. But you'd be the person who gathers all this up into a portal type of view. So you're not really the person who's generating it, you're more like a, a manager of this. It's especially true with wikis. Um, a lot of times when you have a wiki, the, person, the tech writer isn't really the person creating all the pages. You're just kind of coordinating among different people, groups, you're editing it, you are uh, <clears throat> categorizing it, you're fixing things, you're making it consistent. So again, this is a transition from a normal role into something that, that uh, is maybe more common. So, you know, the term just a writer kind of has this negative con connotation in the field of tech writing in an IT environment. But you don't ever hear, you don't ever hear the phrase, oh, he's just a neurosurgeon. Or, oh, she's, <laughs> she's just a, you know, she's just a analytical chemist or something. <laughs> but for some reason, when people say, oh, he's just a writer, it's kind of like a put down, like, like, oh, he's got a skill that everybody has. Uh, so you have to figure out a way to kind of expand beyond that. And, and you can play all these different roles. I recently uh, was talking, I gave another presentation a while ago about these different roles that I had come to play in my group. Um, you, you, you meet with customers and maybe give customer training and support. You may be the person who's creating all the, the audiovisual content and the e-learning materials. You may be the person logging a ton of bugs. Uh, you may be managing a bunch of, of content contributors through a wiki. Uh, you may be doing all of these things, and, and as you do them, you, you transform out of this little role of being just a writer into more of a key player and an influencer. And, and more than that, though, it's not just about providing value. Um, it's, it's about like finding a fulfilling career. There's a lot of people who well, you should read a post on my site called The Raw Unvarnished Truth. It's, my, it's not a post I wrote. It's, it's a, it's, I saw somebody on a listserv who has really had some interesting ideas. And I, told, I asked him to write, the get, write, write it out as a guest post. But in the post, he talks about this kind of burnout and this y years of just being marginalized finally ended in this complete sense of frustration with the whole tech writing career. And a lot of people joined in and they said, yeah, you know, I've had a similar experience. Uh, the counter to all of that is to move beyond writing. It's to play these other roles. It's to, to expand your mind and your skill sets um, so that you're not just sitting in your cube typing, click this, select that, do this. You know, after a while, that does burn you out. But if you're doing all kinds of other things, um, that, that helps to make it so the career is fulfilling. So last night I got this email. <laughs> this, this amuses me to no end. This is a job posting for Attensity, which is where my colleague who I mentioned earlier, Doc Guy, the guy who took XML, where he started. Apparently they got rid of their technical writers 
and decided that they you know, were going to do cutbacks, the tech writers are first to go kind of thing, or, or maybe they laid off a bunch of people, but they let off the tech writer. And after a while, I guess they realized that they needed the tech writer again. Uh, they, they thought they could write, but they really couldn't. And I have another colleague who has the exact same story. He worked for Move Networks, which is like a video, video distribution uh, company. They laid off a bunch of people. A few months later, uh, hey, can you come back? Because we really need somebody to do the tech writing. And, and it's, it's curious because why is it that people still have this, this idea that anybody can write if they fire their writers and realize they can't write? Well, there's something which I call the 90% rule that most people never get in a company. You are a good writer because you spend 90% of your time doing other things that enable you to write. You don't just arrive one day, sit down, start writing documentation. You spend time first understanding the requirements. You spend time meeting with users to figure out what kind of tasks they're even trying to perform. Uh, you can't even really start writing unless you understand the mind of the user so that you can figure out what topics to cover. Uh, so you can understand what the user needs. You spend time studying the specs and so forth that people have written so that you can even understand how the application works. You spend time attending your own team meeting so that you can figure out styles, uh, so you're not just guessing, oh, should I bold this or should I put this in italics? Things like that. Um, <clears throat> you spend time testing the application, figuring out, you know, well, does this really work? Is this, is this how, how it works? You could spend hours just trying to figure out if something's a bug or if that's really how it works or if it hasn't yet been developed or if it's in contrast with the specs. Uh, and that's always a lot of fun. Keep in mind, you're never working on something that's finished. So, so things that don't work is, is a mystery as to whether that's the design or, or, or not. You spend time exploring the application, tracking down subject matter experts, SMEs for review, uh, trying to get the information that you need. A lot of times you may have to camp out at their cubes or leave messages or set up meetings. That's my favorite. So if people don't meet with you, you set up a meeting, and then if they break the meeting, then it's, it's, then it's a little more serious. But uh, you, you have to track down people with more knowledge. You have to attend all kinds of prototype reviews so the designers kind of explain things, how it's supposed to work and, and what, the, what the purpose is. And then, of course, millions of project meetings, which uh, Will, will drain your time as well, but you spend 90% of your time doing all of that. Only 10% of your time you actually spend writing. And, and people who say, well, anybody can write. Sure, it's because they, they're used to the idea that they can sit down and write an email and they're done. They don't realize that in order to write technical documentation requires a 90% time commitment doing preliminary tasks to make the person informed enough to be able to sit down and write the, the information. So even if a person's is college educated, they can write well enough to pass and to make it understandable. Um, once they really get into it and start to realize, oh, there's a lot of other stuff I have to do, they run out of time, their document gets even worse, and then they realize we actually do need tech writers. So I have a question, because I want to make this a little more interactive. How is it that you can go beyond your skill set while you're here at MSU getting your education. What can you do to make yourself more valuable later? Yes? Yeah, 
So you're saying you're saying you open yourself up to opportunities by just saying yes, even if if uh, you're not sure. That's that's great. Um, I actually started to do that with logging bugs at my at my work. I uh, I used to think that logging bugs was really something that was the the quality assurance team's job. You know, they use a, a system called Jira, which I don't even know what it stands for, but it's a giant bug tracking tool. And I'd used, I used to just forward them emails and say, look, here's a bug, here's a bug, here's a bug. Finally, they said, look, Tom, we want you to log these bugs because we don't have time. And I said, fine, I'll do it. And I started logging bugs, and pretty soon I found out that, like, A, whatever changes I wanted to do, I just had to log it, pretty much. <laughs> and they would change things. <laughs> you know, it was like this secret portal into the developer's world in the mind. It put it right into their workflow. But, but B, as you start logging bugs, uh, you become, you, this, this intersection forms between the project manager and the QA and the developer, and they all kind of need you in order to, to understand uh, the bug, the severity, to walk through it. You become a key influencer. You're not just sitting in a meeting taking notes as a fly on the wall. You're like one of the, the players on the team. And yeah, this has happened time and again with other things like support. Didn't want to do customer support. Uh, be, because you know that's a ten dollar an hour job for for somebody in another department, not me. But it's, it was a specialized application. Uh, I knew it better than most anybody else. As I started doing support and talking with users and training them and watching them, I suddenly like tapped into the mind of the user more than any anybody else on the team. I totally understood their pain points, what they're trying to do, and that really drives a lot of other things about how they develop the application. So yeah, I think uh, that's a great strategy. Yes? As I'm sitting here listening to what you say, I've, I've graduated and been out in the wild for four years now. And, and uh, I, I think one of the most important things you just said was, don't think your function in a meeting is to sit back and take notes. Don't be the person that, because you're the doc person, you will be the secretary, the recording secretary for the meeting. Don't be afraid to participate and share those kind of ideas and the insights you have because you'll educate your team with a lot of value. You know, it's not your knowledge to keep. I'm, I'm the person who owns the user and, and the understanding. You share it with the team, you'll end up with a better product, and you will be respected and get these other opportunities. The, the flip side of that is don't open your mouth so you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for commenting that. Yeah, it's, it's super important to open your mouth and, and to share the knowledge that you have about users. And it does transform your role. One of the reasons most people get intimidated is because you, if you join a company and you're sitting in a project meeting, people don't speak in normal English. Developers talk <laughs> in a lot of acronyms. They speak another language. And you'll sit there and think, what are they even saying? It may take you weeks to figure out kind of what's going on. But, but uh, once you do, you know, if you, you study the specifications, you study the application, you study the users and the tasks, you'll, you'll learn enough so that you're not just sitting in the dark the whole time.
Any other comments about what you can do in order to? Yes, way in the back. Thanks. Yeah, the teaching assistant position really does get you interacting and presenting and you're up at the front. In fact, one of my colleagues kind of compares teaching to, to theater in that you're at the front, people are watching you and you kind of have to entertain and perform. And uh, Lynn in her presentation mentioned the, the value of theater. It's actually a great minor because it does give you this, well I mean, I don't know if it gives you this or if this is the mindset theater people bring in, but you become a lot more uh, extroverted and open and and so forth um, and yeah the, the unfortunate thing about most writers is that they're kind of introverted and they they're shy you have to get over that yeah and to tag along with what other people are saying you also have to be willing sometimes to step into a gunfight and um, without without being nasty or snide point out what you're doing and any time that someone in a company maybe makes an uninformed or perhaps disparaging remark about what you do, you just put right back out there, oh you mean this, this, and this, and specify the tools that you're using, the time that you've put into it, what the uh, values and the consequences are of your work. and, and you can't be afraid sometimes to mix it up, but you have to know how to do that skillfully. Yeah, thanks, yeah. You know, it, it can be hard to get into into really tense situations. I, I remember one time there was a button in the interface of the application I was documenting that uh, had a term that I, I absolutely hated. I voiced my opinion several times. I said, you know, this is the stupidest term. I didn't say it like that, but this is gonna confuse people to no end. Finally, the, the whole program manager he he was really kind of worked up and he just ended the conversation <laughs> and that was I couldn't ever change the button name and, and to this day I, I look at that button and most people are confused but I knew I, I had spoken up I had washed my hands of it so to speak and I felt a little bit better about that but it can be hard to kind of kind of move in that direction Phil I think, uh, taking an active role when whatever you're doing whether an organization or your job can really help I uh, a graduate assistant. I did a lot of writing and editing, but I've gotten into social media partly by request. I didn't say no to the project, but also looking at it, what other people were doing and saying, can I add value to this? Mm. Good, yeah. yeah. The whole social media thing is, is this emerging phenomenon of opportunity for, for writers. Um, okay, so I've got about five more minutes. I, I could go into other stuff. One of the things I wanted to kind of suggest now, it depends what your interests are. It depends really, you know, how you want to make yourself hyphenated or hybrid, what you want to do. But I was standing in line 
I'm going to tell you an experience where I think it would be very valuable to, to hyphenate yourself. I was standing in line at a WordCamp conference in Utah. It was the very first, WordCamp is a blogging software platform in case you don't know. And it was uh, the very first WordCamp there. I was standing in line behind the founder and I was really kind of, I had this question inside me. I, I hate the WordPress's codex, which is their wiki manual. Uh, if you try to navigate this thing, it's terrible. They really need somebody who's a full-time technical writer. And I wanted to tell them that. I said, look, without trying to sound like I was trying to ask for a job or anything, because I wasn't. I just was a, I'm a, I'm a power user of WordPress, and I hate the documentation. And so I kind of suggested my question. And he said, oh, we're hiring a, we're hiring a screencaster to help out with the, the help content. We know that a lot of people get frustrated. And I thought, screencaster? The heck? How's that going to work? Uh, <laughs> and, and then a few months later, these screencasts started to appear. If you ever go to WordPress.tv, you can see a lot of them. The ones by Michael Pick are, are the good ones. Um, they, they allow videos from everybody. So you know, I've submitted some. People submit some. There's tons of videos on there. But the ones by Michael Pick are the, the ones that their hired screencaster did. And they actually are quite mind-blowing. Um, it, it, it really, if you, can, if you can develop your sense of video and you can create video tutorials, it's hugely valuable. Um, let me jump ahead to something that I really want to explain. So in many companies, this is your traditional process for creating video. You have a writer who's writing the scripts or you have somebody who writes a script, then you, have, you call together a meeting and you have a bunch of people review the script. And they change it, and they may even project it on the wall and edit it on the fly, which is crazy. When you have six people writing the same thing. Then you have a voiceover talent who kind of records it in a studio with his studio voice and so forth. Then you have an AV specialist who like, takes the audio recording and merges it with, merges it with uh, the, the recorded screen and so forth. Then you have a project manager at the end who listens to it and realizes that, oh, they made a mistake. That's really not how it is, or we changed this now. And you have to restart this whole process. A few years ago, about five years ago, actually, I was, I was at this STC meeting where somebody showed this demo of this two-minute screencast they had done. And I, I was sitting at the back. I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool, this, how, to, how to download an attachment from something. I said, how long did that take you guys? They said, 75 hours. I said, what? Uh, you're kidding, right? 75 hours? And they'd actually backed down from 100 and something. <laughs> so, so it wasn't as if they had just kind of padded it. They really, it really did take 75 hours. I said, well, if you factor in storyboarding and getting approval and making changes and all the different people involved and so forth, it really does add up. And if you look at all these people, the number of hours they each spend, um, and then you, then you fix the video a couple of times afterwards, it's way too expensive. So I don't like that sort of process. Ha, there we go. So <laughs> it's much more efficient and easier if you as a tech writer do all of these. If you know the application well enough where you don't have to have somebody review your script, you bypass this whole committee review. If you've developed your e-learning, your, your multimedia skills where you can record it, uh, then that that is, then you don't have to like outsource it. And if you have developed your voice enough where you can feel comfortable doing 
the voiceover, reading the script, or, or going from an outline, uh, which is the hardest part, by the way. If you can do that, <coughs> then you don't have to outsource it to your voiceover talent. And you can do all of this within several hours. You can create a two-minute video. And, and especially as you get better at them, you can crank them out. Uh, when the project manager says, you know what, we need this changed, you don't have to go through the whole process again. You just fix it. And because it's your voice, you can just re-record parts of it. Now, I'm, I'm kind of simplifying that. There's a lot more to it. But uh, the tech writer has this perfect vantage point into the world of video creation. And it's not something that other people can do. Uh, n almost nobody in your, in your company is going to just like throw together a professional looking video tutorial. Uh, they just, it, it's kind of beyond most people's skill sets. So it's one way that you can provide a lot of value. And um, let me show you one that I really like. I'm not as good as this guy. Actually, let me show you a couple. Okay. I know we're running out of time there. Okay, <clears throat> I've got dual monitors enabled and I probably should fix it so I can see you, but uh, let me do the WordPress Carmen release video. They call all of, their, all of their releases after a famous jazz player or something. Anyway, so this is, this is one of the videos that this screencaster put together. I had millions of downloads or millions of views. And uh, okay, one sec. Where'd my mouse go? There we go. Let me turn up my volume. You can hear, hopefully, a little bit. Maybe I should do these speakers. All right. Okay. Anticipation is building, hopefully. So it better be exciting. And now the mouse is gone. One sec. Where'd he go? Okay. A release focused on making publishing and managing your content oh. more intuitive Whoa. than it's ever been. <laughs> in addition to some of the all-important bug squashing uh, okay, hold on. improvements in the general media architecture, 2.9 brings... Wow. Uh, I think I did something to make that. I don't know what I did. I just unplugged it. Okay. So, hmm. By the time that projector would come back on, whatever. So let me just let me just recommend that you go view it. Okay. <laughs> so go go view go view word search for WordPress Carmen, and it's really a cool way that they that they that he's able to do to do this. And he actually has a film background. I honestly don't know what I unplugged. I unplugged the sound cable, but anyway, I probably screwed it up. But he's got a film background, and he takes that film background and he implements principles. Principles like the same you see as you're watching commercials where things change every five seconds. So you have lots of visual eye candy. And he's got, he's got a, a rhythm and pace that moves through it, but he keeps it short. He doesn't go beyond usually 30 seconds or, or two or three minutes for each video, which is another really powerful thing as you're creating these. You know, it doesn't have to be this super long thing that requires Adobe Premiere and hours and hours of study. There's actually an application called Jing. You should, you should definitely download this application because it's free. Jingproject.com, uh, like Jeep with J-I-N-G. 
Jing is free, and what it allows you to do is create videos without any kind of um, any kind of other software. So you can spend a lot of money doing videos. I actually bought a $400 microphone because I wanted to improve the sound of my voice. And I realized after I bought it that it didn't really help that much. <laughs> and my wife was really upset at that. But anyway, you don't have, as a student, you probably don't have access to lots of fancy microphones. You don't have access to uh, maybe Camtasia Studio, $300 is just over your budget. That's okay. Focus on the technique. Focus on your voice, because the voice is really what sells it. Uh, you could put all kinds of cinematic Hollywood effects and so forth to try to keep somebody's attention, but really, if you have a, a personal voice that you can integrate into that, that's warm and inviting, it doesn't cost you anything to develop this, except for time. But if you can do that, people, people will love them, and if they're short. Um, and, and it's something you can kind of perhaps practice in the sense that you're doing voice that maybe won't be uh, interfering with other departments sort of lines about what they what they can and can't do anyway uh, if you have questions love to uh, address them I think I'm running out of time does anybody have any questions they want to go over anything you're at a great opportunity tech writing is really a blossoming field it's it's there's a lot of opportunities. It may be hard to get your initial first job, but once you get your foot in the door with even like one year of experience, it, it, it's a lot easier to get additional jobs. And it can be a career that sustains you financially, that really engages you intellectually. Uh, you're in, envi in an environment with lots of other professionals who are intelligent and capable. You're not sitting in a little tiny room uh, with notepad open typing. You're working with tools. Uh, it's, it's, you're on the frontier of what's new. You're not kind of behind everybody else. And um, at the end of the day, you still have creative energy. If you want to start a blog or if you want to write the great American novel, it doesn't exhaust you or bend your ethics as you're doing tech writing all day. So my, my blog is I'd rather be writing.com. There's lots of content there and you can contact me there as well. So thanks.